Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you on this Thanksgiving Advent weekend, and I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, and I'll be reading our scripture from Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 through verse 8, and then jump over to verse 17 to about the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Then over to verse 17, when I saw him, John is speaking now, When I saw him, that is Jesus, I fell at his feet, though dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures, for speaking to us time and time again. And so in this new season, speak to us yet again, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's a a real joy to be with you this morning, and I want to begin with the word of thanks. Uh, You don't know this, but in 1986, I was one of the first interns at Christ Church of Lake Forest, and I was ordained here. That's the only time I've ever preached here. Uh, And um, so it's it's been many years, but I have over my desk a certificate that says, Christ Church of Lake Forest ordained to the office of teaching elder so that He will be a minister of the Word of God in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that reminder is with me just about every day I look up at it. And and I I just want to say thank you for investing in a young person, allowing me to do things when I was here. And I I hope that's continuing in some way because, as you know, right now my job is involved in training pastors and leaders for the global 21st century church. And that investment in those students is so critical. So since that time, I went on to uh, 
uh, helped plant a church in, uh, on the Wisconsin border, Chain of Lakes Community Bible Church. I was pastor there for quite a while. And then I jumped the aisle, became a Presbyterian in Denver, uh, and uh, became part of the EPC and was pastoring uh, Cherry Creek Presbyterian Church for 12 years. And in the last three years, I've been down in Orlando at Reformed Theological Seminary, and it's a great blessing to be there. So thanks, and it's good to be here. Well, ready or not, Advent is here, right? Uh, here we go. This is December 1st. Can you believe it? It came so fast, and it's great to be part with you of this Advent conspiracy, which is something I believe in very, very deeply because, as you know, Christmas is fading from our culture. It really is. I mean, if you're old enough, you, you know that, you know, we used to worry that they were taking Christ out of Christmas. Now they take Christmas out of Christmas. You know, you start to see places where even Santa is banned. Uh, we have gone from, you know, the Advent-Christmas combination to just Christmas to just um, a generic holiday season to the shopping season, which now starts sometime in September. And the whole thing, it's, it's a mess, and it's also a mess for Christians because we breathe this cultural air, and our cultural Christmas has be, it's just gone all over the place. So we need Advent. Enter the Advent conspiracy, this uh, desire to have a Christmas makeover, which uh, I think we all need. I was reading the book, The Advent Conspiracy. It had this probing little question, what if Advent is much bigger than we ever imagined? It's a great question to keep in mind as we come upon this first theme, worship fully. I don't know how familiar you are with Advent, but Advent is the first season in the Christian calendar. You know the Christian calendar, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, uh, Holy Week, and on and on it goes. Uh, Advent means, as was said, arrival or coming, and it speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. And the Advent idea is based on two convictions. The first is that Jesus is the Lord over time. Now, if you read the end of Revelation, Jesus himself said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, time is defined by me. And so the, the calendar, or the Christian calendar, and the season of Advent recognize that. Advent started as a tradition in the church about 300 A.D. So that's the first conviction. The second conviction that this season is based on is the fact that our hearts wander. I mean, we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so Advent was a season of penance and fasting and heart work, to get our hearts in order, to prepare our hearts and make him room. And that's where I think, boy, that's all still true. We desperately need Advent. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and I want to bring before you two Advent realities to prompt worship. And the first reality is what is said here about Jesus. The second is what is said about his comings. Now let's just remember what is said about Jesus. In the very first verse, can you see it? Put your finger on it. How does it begin? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Very important because we often call the book Revelations, but that's not what it says. The book is named Revelation. And while it reveals lots of things that will take place in the future, the focus is on what? Is on Jesus and who he is and what he's about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you have this string of affirmations about Jesus all through the book. But, but if you look at verse 5, Jesus Christ is, is what? He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. 
He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, all these things that are, are said about him. Over in verse 17, he's the first and the last, the living one. Now, he's got these keys in his, in his hand. Amazing affirmations. When you come down to verse 8, it's a fascinating study in Revelation 1. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Actually, commentators debate, is this God the Father speaking? Or is this Jesus speaking? And you can actually read a lot of commentators that hold this view or, or that view. And the reason that it's a, a little bit confusing is because all that is said about God the Father, uh, that he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was, who is to come, he's the Almighty, is also said in Revelation about Jesus. And so John affirms the unity of the Father and the Son that they are so much, um, they have the same attributes, you know, and uh, Jesus, therefore, is the first and the last, which means for us is that it's really wise to measure time by Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why is that significant? Because we often measure time by lots of other things, and we just don't measure time by Christ. We measure time by Hallmark, you know, January 1st, President's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all that. Or the bank calendar drives us, you know, the beginning of the fiscal year, tax day, you know, the end of the fiscal year. Or the school calendar, it's, um, it's uh, rush week or it's finals, uh, it's the end of the semester. You know, or the sports calendar, it's spring training, uh, it's the middle of the season, the all-star game, it's the World Series. And those calendars really drive our lives. But Scripture, I think, is saying here, look, believer, measure time by him. And Advent has been one tool to help us do that. So that's the affirmation about Jesus that we need to remember. But the, the other affirmation is what is said about his comings. And I find it interesting that uh, Revelation 1 speaks of not just one coming of Jesus and not just two coming of Jesus, but three comings of Jesus. And I think this will help us understand Advent. So let's think about these. The first coming of Jesus. This is the obvious one, right? His birth, Bethlehem, the grand miracle. I mean, you look at verse 5, and it, it speaks of his first coming. But it's interesting that it doesn't start with Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is, is a miracle. It's uh, God became flesh. Uh, the word became flesh without ceasing to be God. What a mystery that is. But John jumps right to the mission of Jesus And when he describes his first coming, he describes it as he is the firstborn from the dead. He freed us from our sins by his blood. In other words, he drives right to the cross. He says this was the purpose of his first coming. We often forget that when we think about Christmas in Bethlehem, but never forget that it all drives to the divine atonement mission of the cross of Jesus Christ. I was reading Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in the 19th century, and he would often speak about Jesus as the river of life. And he spoke about rivers and said, you know, there's a lot of commerce that takes place on our rivers. But he said of this passage, when we look backwards and go back to Bethlehem or Calvary, the believer can actually have commerce with Jesus Christ. And the benefits, the spiritual benefits of those events come to us yet again as we immerse our minds and hearts in the event and the the meaning of them. You know, in other words, his coming, his advent is much bigger than you might think it is. 
And the question when we think about his first coming is, are you ready? Are you ready to celebrate his first coming? You say, well, how do I get ready? Well, by worship, worshiping him this month. Do you have plans to worship him? Uh, You say, well, how would I worship him? Well, do you have time to come to services, Advent services, Christmas music services, where it'll bring you back to the reality of the the miracle of the incarnation? That's one way to worship. Uh, What about family worship, where you have an Advent wreath and maybe in the center of your table you have the four candles and you have a scripture reading to bring you closer to Christmas Eve when you light the Christ candle and you have worship right in your own household or it's an Advent calendar or a Jesse tree? Or what about personal worship? Do you have time to reflect this month? Now, this is why Advent is so brilliant and the beginning of Advent is such a prime moment. Now is the time to plan your month before you get carried away with all the other things that could happen to you. Now is the time to prepare times for your spirit to luxuriate in who Jesus Christ is and what he did in his first coming. So lay out the plan today, folks, or you will get swept away yet again. Do you believe me? It's true. It is so true. Well, that's his first coming. What about his second coming? The second coming, that's a little less obvious. Uh, It's uh, Christmas future, not just Christmas past. It's that he is... He is coming again. And I I find it interesting how little evangelicals emphasize the second coming during Advent and Christmas. It's as if we've forgotten half the story and we get stuck in the past. And the past is wonderful, but it's not the complete story. And so you look at verse 7 and it refers to his second coming. Look at it. Behold, John says he is coming. He's coming with the clouds and he's unfolding his coming in the whole book of Revelation, what it's going to be like. And he's going to tell us that the the best is still ahead of us. We've experienced the first installment, the inauguration of his kingdom, uh, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But there is so much more that is yet ahead. And when you move from just the first coming to the second coming, and you think about both during Advent, you begin to connect the dots into the whole work of Christ and your Christmas grows bigger and your Advent gets stronger and more robust, more spiritually potent, you know, and you start to long. Oh, Advent is about longing. By the way, it's not longing for the past. You know, lots of people, they long for, you know, Dickens and a Dickensian Christmas and all those things. But the Christmas longing of Scripture is the longing for the the future, the second advent. And so we sing it in some of our advent carols, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. One of my favorites is uh, Charles Wesley's Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. I got to read some of the words to you because I think it's great. Uh, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. This is an advent carol. Once for favored sinners slain, thousands, thousands, saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia, alleluia, God appears on earth to reign. Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set it not and sold him, pierced and nailed him to a tree. Deeply wailing, deeply wailing shall the true Messiah see. Now redemption long expected see in solemn pomp appear. All his saints by men rejected now shall meet him in the air. 
Alleluia, alleluia, see the day of God appear. Yea, amen, let all adore thee. High on thine eternal throne, Savior, take the power and glory. Claim the kingdom for thine own. Oh, come quickly, oh, come quickly, everlasting God, come down. I mean, you get the sense that he knew the best was still ahead. And it infused his Christmas, his Advent, with glorious hope. And you know, I got to tell you, there are many people in our churches who, you know, have a hard time during Christmas season and Advent. Maybe some of you, you've lost a loved one and they're not here this year and you feel it. You've had its sickness and your body ain't what it used to be. I was with my parents this weekend for Thanksgiving and dad is 89 and mom is 87. The first year mom didn't make Thanksgiving dinner. And I could tell she was bothered that she can't do what she used to do. And we talked about the gospel and the glorious gospel hope of the second advent and all that is still ahead for us in Christ Jesus. And the question is, when we think of the second coming, are you ready? Same question. How do you get ready? Well, you stay awake, right? That's what Scripture says. Stay awake, for you don't know when the Master will come back. Stay awake from the numbness of materialism. Stay awake from the rush of the season. Stay awake from all the things that that get in the way of helping you see Christ clearly. And then, then the hope that just comes in and you focus on the big story when you think of this part of Advent, the big story, and you move from nostalgia to hope. You know, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I have uh, so many moments as a pastor where people in the church had tragedy during Advent season. And for some, they'd say, you know, oh, it, it ruined my Christmas. And I'd say, what do you mean, ruined your Christmas? Christmas and Advent is about a rescue operation. The world is so broken, we desperately need a Savior who looks a lot like Jesus. This is a story that speaks to the deepest tragedy of the moments. Don't run from it. Run to it. Run more deeply into it. Well, it's bigger than we imagined. So we have the first coming referred here in uh, Revelation 1. We have the second coming. But there's one other that I think we sometimes miss, and I call it a, a, a third coming of Christ that we, we forget about. It's less obvious, but his present coming, every advent, uh, that he comes to us yet again to reveal who he is, to meet with his people. Now, you look at verse 17. What does it say about Jesus? He says, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That Jesus is risen means that Jesus is still around. He is still here to meet with his people. And then it's fascinating in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, uh, Jesus is the one who now walks among the seven golden lampstands. That is, he walks among the churches. Now, he's ascended, but he's here. It's another way of saying He is here. He knows Christ's church as he knew the church of Ephesus. He is with us. He comes to us. I mean, he comes to us all through the year, but he comes to us in special moments during the year when we focus on him with new intensity. So you can say life is Advent, really. It's filled with his comings. But Advent is Advent. His first, his second, his third coming fill our our minds. We expect to meet with him. So what's the big deal about Advent? Well, it's just a revelation 
of Jesus Christ. And it causes us to, to worship him, to glorify him. Whether we're having a great Advent season where everything is going just right, or we have a hard Advent season where we've got troubles, and yet there's a place to look. There's a place to go to because Advent is bigger than we ever imagined. So every Christmas, we have a new time, a new opportunity to meet with Him as a church, as individuals. And the amazing thing about this meeting is that in the midst of the meeting, He calls to us to come to Him. Revelation 3.20, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's a verse about Jesus coming to a church saying, I'm here. Come on, acknowledge it. Realize I'm here. Let me into this place. Let me in. Let me into your Christmas. Let me into your family during this Advent season. I was at Starbucks the other day, and you know they got a new ad campaign for Christmas. And have you seen it? It's create wonder, share joy. And they talk about joy in a cup. Now, I like Starbucks as much as anybody else, but you're not going to find joy in a cup. You're just not. And the wonder only goes so far, doesn't it? It reminded me of that book written by historian Tom Standage. He called it The History of the World in Six Glasses. And he actually tracked history by the drinks that civilizations have, have drunk, the vital fluids. I don't know if you've read it, but he talks about ancient civilization. And every drink that they drank, it was somehow inadequate. It wasn't enough. He talks about the Mesopotamian civilization moving towards beer and, and, and how beer was more purified than some of the water, but it was considered a barbarian drink by the Greeks. So the Greeks celebrated wine, and the age of wine with the Greeks and the Romans emphasized uh, was, was a, another age, but wine is hard to transport. It's, you know, those big pitchers, and it's expensive. And so um, after a while, uh, as the Roman Empire petered out and the age of exploration happened, um, they, it was the age of spirits where you could distill spirits and carry little amounts and bring it overseas and then purify water. But the problem with that was that so many people just drank the spirits. And, uh, and, and it, I mean, there are lots of people at that time who complained, Thomas Jefferson, of, of just the mass drunkenness and the problem that it is to American and English society. And so we moved from that age to the age of coffee. During the Enlightenment, the philosophers drink, the scientists drink, the businessmen's drink. Because you were awake, it clarified your mind wonderfully. And England at the time had many coffee houses, but the problem was it was rather expensive. And so during the 19th century, Standage talks about the age of tea in the British Empire. As tea went from China to England, tea was cheaper than coffee. And you could have tea breaks during uh, factory time, and it would help keep the average worker awake so he'd produce more, Right? And then he takes us, lastly, to the 20th century, to American civilization. And guess what the drink is? Well, you guessed. It's Coca-Cola, you know. It's, uh, it's bubbly, and it went all over the world with our servicemen. But it, now they're saying it's too sweet. So you end the book, and you're thinking, so what's the drink of the 21st century? Maybe it'll be Jolt. Maybe it'll be Starbucks. Who knows? But I don't think you're going to find the joy in a cup. And so while I'm at Starbucks... I listen to the, I watch this barista take a cup and he's looking at the slogan and he just, he's mumbling to himself. He actually says this. He says, you know, I've been looking for joy my whole life, but it seems, it never seems to find me. And he looks at the cup and kind of sniffs, like, it's, it's not here. 
and how right he is, how right he is, because it's found only in Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that the book of Revelation, if you turn right to the end, it ends with these Advent calls where Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Surely I'm coming soon, verse 20. And John echoes it in verse 20, and he says, come, Lord Jesus. That's his Advent greeting. Merry Christmas, come, Lord Jesus. And then right before the end of the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ, the bride, echoing this and saying, come, let everyone who's thirsty and who hears, come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come and drink and meet with him and sup with him and you will find life for your souls. Friends, that is what Advent is about, his coming to us and are coming to him yet again this Christmas time. May your Advent season have a makeover. May Christ be real to you more than ever before. Cling to him. Worship him in this season. Father, thank you for the privilege of meeting together, for the privilege of, of focusing our thoughts, and now at the beginning of, of December, focusing our lives and calendars and families so they don't go insane So would you help us become co-conspirators? Would you do a new work and turn our season upside down for the glory of Jesus? We ask this in his name and everybody said.